Okay, now for our second message, it'll be brought to us today by Mr. Barnabas Grayson. It is entitled, The Grace of Humility and Meekness. Good afternoon, everyone. As David mentioned, the weather is changing. You can see it in the trees. The fall weather makes for a very a colorful time of year. And uh, as you know, it also, the changes bring something that usually happens around this time, and that's that's uh, Christmas. Everybody is looking forward to Christmas, and it kind of overshadows uh, the Thanksgiving holiday that's, that's coming up, because you go into a store right now, and you see that they have all of those Christmas displays going up right away, and they're getting a head start on the Christmas season, and somehow we, uh, even in those things, when you think about Christmas, you think about all the material goods and all the products that man has made and, and a lot of people covet after those things and it does make for a, a big boom in the economy. But sometimes we often forget that we should give thanks, that we should give thanks for the blessings that we have when the Thanksgiving holidays come up. But Christmas is a big thing it seems like and uh, of course I, I look uh, forward to Thanksgiving because it means a big meal at least once a year and uh, I don't have to worry too much about diet I never do anyway but but uh, that's coming up uh, I'm reminded also uh, uh, when uh, I was younger uh, maybe around 10 years old uh, uh, my cousins and I would uh, go out and play football on Thanksgiving Day and we called it the turkey bowl we would have probably about maybe nine or ten of us and we'd play tackle and and we'd play football sometimes we didn't have a football and we may do it maybe a sock and sometimes socks served as as a glove you know to keep your hands warm and <clears throat> but that was one of the traditional things that uh, we did in, in this little turkey bowl and I think I, we must have played it till I was about 26 years old so I, we, we really enjoyed doing that it was just time to get get together so a lot of things to be thankful for uh, you know uh, freedom and all of these uh, blessings that we have you know it was in November 1621 that the Plymouth uh, colonists shared uh, a, a, a feast with the Wapanoag Indians and that was acknowledged as the first uh, first uh, celebration in the colonies so let us not forget to give thanks. And the sermon today is not on giving thanks, but in a way it is because uh, of the messages that we read from the words of God in, in the Bible. Now, still, uh, when I think about this time of year, and you know, you do kind of look uh, toward, as I used to do when I was uh, growing up at the age of 10, I did look forward to Christmas because that was uh, another time in which uh, my cousins and I would get out and play football. And we'd go up to the football field. And, uh, and this one, if, if we were lucky, we called it the snowball. Even if it uh, snowballed, 
even if it didn't snow, we, we went out there and played, and that's when, you know, your fingers got cold, and if you had a ball, it was made out of plastic, and you threw it, it would hurt your fingers if you caught it, but there are a lot of memories that come around this time of year, a lot of changes in the air, but today I want to talk about the grace of humility and meekness. You know, for some people, it's hard to be humble because they hold this inordinate pride uh, within themselves, these feelings of greatness in themselves. And for some people, however, meekness uh, might be to them or seem like to them a sign of weakness. And to have no self-pride is to settle for less. But there are many problems that we uh, have in our world today that can be traced to a lack of humility and meekness in our society. Instead, of, uh, instead we see that there is selfish pride, there is uh, aggressiveness ongoing in our society. It's been that way since, since the world began. I guess by now you have a, a little handout in case uh, you can make your notes, uh, uh, whatever the scripture might refer to, or sometimes I might even skip some of these scriptures, but you'll have them you know, later on to refer to. So I, I, uh, if you have that right now, we'll, we'll proceed. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, a very familiar verse that tells about our times today because Paul is telling Timothy, he wants him to know, this know that in the last days dangerous times shall come. For man, you know, that's mankind, that's both male and female, that's boy and girl, uh, that's man and woman, uh, shall be lovers of their own selves. They are so selfish about themselves that they really don't, they've just lost sight of how, uh, of others because they think only of themselves. They become covetous. They become boasters. They become proud. They become blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, and unholy. You know, you look at the word unholy, you can see there's a lot of ways that uh, man can become unholy. There are adulterous affairs that they uh, get into. There are other things that cause them to be unholy, and some have gone back to make themselves unholy by, uh, say, uh, like uh, eating pork or eating the unclean foods. They have lost that, that uh, holiness that God said for them to be holy. And without natural affection, without love, truce breakers, false accusers, and you know, those are slanderers. They were incontinent, without any self-control, fierce despisers of those that are good. Even despisers of the, hearing the word of God are those who bring the word of God. They're traitors, heady, high-minded, conceited, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, he's telling Timothy, from such, turn away, reject those things. So are there things in this listing that describes the way we act, the way we are? Are there things in this listing that we might can describe, ascribe to others? In many ways, you know, we're able to see some of these things manifest themselves in the lives of others. We may see it in others. But does God see any of those things in us? 
Do we see them sometimes crop up in our life as situations or conditions uh, cause us to have an attitude change? For example, how does he look upon pride? Does he see pride in us that is inordinate in some way? That of having a high opinion of oneself over others due to some accomplishment or achievement or, or possession that they have? In Proverbs 8, in verse 13, it says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy, and the evil way, and the forward mouth or the perverse talk. These things do I hate, he said. So pride can be found at the heart of those things that we read back in Timothy. Pride has a way of deceiving the possessor. In Obadiah, verse 3, the vision of Obadiah. Thus saith the Lord God concerning Edom, we have heard a rumor from the Lord, and an ambassador is sent among the heathen. Arise you, and let us rise up against her in, bat in battle. Behold, I have made thee small. You that dwell, you are greatly despised. The pride of your heart has deceived you. So here's what pride can do. It can deceive you. It can make you think highly of yourself when you really shouldn't be thinking highly of yourself. The pride of your heart has deceived you, you that dwell in the clefts of the rock, whose habitation is high, that saith in his heart, who shall bring me down to the ground? That's what pride does. You have this pride and this feeling of, uh, of invincibility because Edom stood proud because they felt invincible to uh, any attack because of the high cliffs that surrounded them and because of their military outposts that guarded them from, from invaders. But in their arrogance, they said, well, who can bring me down? So here's how God answered through the voice of the prophet Obadiah to them. Though you exalt yourself as the eagle and though you set your nest among the stars, there will I bring you down, saith the Lord. So the thing about pride is that it usually leads to a ruin. It precedes a ruin. We've read where pride goeth before a fall. The deception of pride can precede a national downfall as well as that of an individual. Lack of humility can lead to a humbling experience. We read in Leviticus 26, 19 that, uh, that he says, I will break the pride of your power. So there is a pride, we know, that the, uh, a pride that there is, uh, that's good to have, one in which, you know, it leads to doing good, you know, pride in, in doing a quality work for the benefit of others. But it's the inordinate uh, pride, the arrogant pride that we are not to walk in. That's the pride that will humble you at some point. So it's like the misplaced pride that some put in maybe their the power of their wealth or the military strength. Instead, we should look to God as our strength and power. Now, see if you notice this in the following scriptures, that there are examples of humility in people of God throughout the Bible. And these are just a few. In Genesis 18, verse 27 and 32, Abraham answered and said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. 
which am but dust and ashes. And he said, Oh, let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure, ten shall be found there. And he said, I will, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. But we see here where Abraham said, which he said, I am but dust and ashes. That's, <laughs> I'm as low as you can get there uh, to the ground. Does, is that an uh, example of humility that Abraham had? We can look elsewhere and see. In Exodus 3, chapter 3, uh, down in verse 11, Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? So we, we see that Moses had, uh, God had called Moses to, uh, that he had heard the cry of the children of Israel and that he was to lead them out of their oppression. But Moses said, well, who am I? That uh, he, he should be the one to do this. So he had, he w there was a uh, humbling, a, a humility about Moses. 1 Samuel 18, verse 17, Saul said to David, Behold my elder daughter Merab, her will I give you to wife. Only be you valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul said, Let not my hand be upon him, but let the hand of the Philistines be upon him. And David said unto Saul, Who am I? Who am I? And what is my life or my father's family in Israel that I should be the son-in-law to the king? But it came to pass at the time when Merib Saul's daughter should have been given to David that she was given unto Adriel the Meholathite to wife. Then we look at Jeremiah 1. In Jeremiah 1, Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. You know, Jeremiah was uh, pointing to his, his uh, immaturity, thinking of himself as a child, not one who had all this uh, uh, maturity and, and power uh, of a man. But the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for ye shall go to all that I shall send you. And whatsoever I command you, ye shall speak. Daniel 2. But as for me, this secret is not revealed uh, to me for any wisdom that I have more than any living, but for their sakes that shall make known the interpretation to the king, and you might know the thoughts of your heart. So Daniel saying, you know, this wisdom is given to me by God. It is not something that I have. And so he uh, approached unto God was one of humility and humbleness. In Luke 1, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard the salutation of Mary, the babe leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she spoke without with a loud voice and said, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And whence is this to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So she felt humbled by this this uh, miraculous thing that was happening between, between them. So in Matthew 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your souls. This is, this is Jesus uh, talking. For my yoke is easy, 
and my burden is light. So before God and before others, and as it's been recorded here in the Word of God, humility involves recognition of one's true position before God. Luke chapter 14, verse 7, And he, that's Jesus, he put forth a parable to those which were bidden when he marked how they chose out to the chief rooms, saying unto them, And when you are bidden of any man to a wedding, sit not down in the highest room, lest a more honorable man than you be bidden of him. And he that bade you and him come and say to you, Give this man your place, and you begin with shame to take the lowest room. But when you are bidden, go and sit down in the lowest room. Then when he uh, that bade you to come, he may say unto you, Friend, go up higher. Then shall you have worship in the presence of them that sit at meat with you. So these places of honor at these banquets, those that uh, were closest to the uh, host, uh, uh, wanted those positions to be close, to be seen uh, with their hosts. But 11, he says, For whosoever exalts himself shall be abased, and he that humbles himself, himself shall be exalted. So it is better to be invited and uh, invited up than to be sent down. Mark chapter 9, verse 35. Actually, verse 33, uh, and he came to Capernaum, Capernaum, and being in the house, he asked them, what was it that you disputed among yourselves by the way? So he was, you know, he heard the disciples talking about something, and, and uh, he, he, he asked them, well, what was it you guys were disputing among yourselves back there on the road? But they held their peace, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. They didn't want... Uh, uh, Jesus to really know that they were wondering who's going to be the greatest. You can imagine how that conversation must have gone. So he asked them, you know, what were you guys, you know, what were you talking about? And they were just a little embarrassed, to say the least. And so they kept silent. But Jesus knew. And they may have this look, ha had this look of surprise when Jesus, when he had sat down in verse 35, he called the twelve and said unto them, if any man desire to be first, the same shall be last and servant of all. Mark chapter 18. I think I... There is no 18, so it must be 16, doesn't it? I need a drink. I've got triple X's on it. It's my cup. Nothing in it. That's good. Okay, let's look and see what Mark 16, 2 says. I gave the wrong scripture, but let me read to you what I have down on my notes here. At the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, and they were saying to him, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And so what did Jesus do? He called a little child unto him, and he set him in the midst of them, set them among him, among them. And he said, Truly I say unto you, unless you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter 
into the kingdom of heaven. Whosoever therefore shall humble himself as this little child, the same is greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So, for whatever reason, probably won't drink it. I saw that. Hate to drink in front of you. But I think, you know, with the weather change, sometimes I hear, you know, people being hoarse, and Rick back there is hoarse, and Glenda's been hoarse, and I guess others have been hoarse, and I'm just waiting my turn. Not really, but... <clears throat> I've lost my place now. Uh, for whatever reason, maybe it was pride or unbelief, as Jesus preached to the grown-ups of his day, they, weren't, they didn't readily uh, come to him through the call of his message, through the call of his word, but they held back from what he called this little child, this child to them. He came, came over, uh, and used that as an example to show that uh, like, to be like little children in the grace of humility in answering the call of God. Webster, you know, the dictionary man, says humility is freedom from pride, it's freedom from arrogance, it's freedom from uh, having a sense of high-mindedness. It means lowliness of mind, a modest, having a modest estimate of one's worth, a sense of one's own uh, worthiness through imperfection and sinfulness. It consists in rating our claims low, in being willing to waive our rights and take a lower place than might be our due. So, in Isaiah 66, to whom will the Lord look? Verse 1, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool, where is the house that you build unto me, and where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath my, mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look, even to him that is poor, that is humble, and of a contrite spirit, and trembles at my word. So having the grace of humility means having the Lord dwell with you. Isaiah chapter 57, verse 15. For thus saith the high and lofty, high and lofty one that inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I dwell in the high and holy place. With him also, that is of a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. So we ask, well, you know, the... Uh, God will look down favorably upon those who are humble, those who have a sense of uh, a righteous humility. But what about the proud? What about those that have this inordinate sense and high-mindedness of themselves? What course will God take with them? In James chapter 4, verse 5, Do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit that dwells in us lusts to envy. But he gives more grace, wherefore he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. 
Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. So God would have us with the grace of humility, while the devil would like to see us depart from all, all that grace. Verse 8, draw nigh to God. Draw close to God, and he will draw nigh to you. You know, that's a promise that we can look at sometimes whenever we think, you know, God seems far away. It's really not him being far away. It's us being far away. So we draw nigh to him. And he will draw close to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. 1 Peter chapter 5. Verse 1, the elders which are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown, a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time casting all your care upon him, for he cares for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about looking for whom he may devour, whom resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of grace, who has called us unto his eternal glory be, uh, by Christ Jesus, after that ye have suffered a while, will make you perfect, Establish, strengthen, settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So how important is having this grace of, of humility? Isaiah 2, verse 10. Enter into the rock. Hide you in the dust for fear of the Lord and for the glory of his majesty. So we see, you know, that there's a time coming when there really is going to be no place for anyone to hide from the face of God. In verse 11, the lofty looks of man shall be humbled, and the haughtiness of men shall be bowed down, and the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. For the day of the Lord of hosts shall be upon every one that is proud and lofty, and upon every one that is lifted up, and he shall be brought low. And upon all the cedars of Lebanon, that are high and lifted up, and upon all the oaks of Bashan, and upon all the high mountains, and upon all the hills that are lifted up, and upon every high tower, and upon every fenced wall, and upon all the ships of Tarshish, and upon all pleasant pictures. Who alone shall be exalted? Verse 17, the loftiness of man shall be bowed down, 
and the haughtiness of men shall be made low, but the Lord alone shall be exalted in that day. That's when you know, everything comes, comes to that point, when you cannot acknowledge when you can't acknowledge that it's because of man's pride that they uh, did so many good things, but because it is God who controls everything. He's the one who has made all things and that he is the one who will be outstanding and exalted in that day. Proverbs 3, verse 31. Envy, envy not the oppressor and choose none of his ways, for the forward or the uh, perverse, you know, people that show a, a, a deliberate and obstinate uh, desire to behave unacceptably is abomination to the Lord, but his secret is with the righteous. The curse of the Lord is in the house of the wicked, but he blesses the habitation of the just. Surely he, the, he scorns the scorners, but he gives grace unto the lowly or the humble. The wise shall inherit glory but shame shall be the promotion of fools. So as Christians, we are exhorted to have humility. Colossians chapter 3, we're to put off uh, things like anger and malice and blasphemy, filthy communications, things of that sort. In verse 9, lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds, and put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Put on therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness and long suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do you. And above all things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also you are called in one body. And be you thankful. So we are the elect of God. These are the things that we need to put into our lives. These bowels of mercies and humbleness of mind. Verse 16. Let the word of God, Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. You know, the first message we heard about Bible study, knowing that uh, the word of God gives us knowledge and that this word of God can dwell in our hearts and we could be able to respond when someone asks, you know, what is the reason? for the faith that is in us. Verse 17, And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord. The Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. You know, again in uh, Ephesians 4, we are to walk with humility, humbleness, and lowliness, and not pride. As Paul said, said I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Are we walking worthy of that vocation wherein we were called? Doing it with all lowliness and meekness, with long-suffering, forbearing one another in love. So, Colossians 2, we're to avoid having a, a false humility. 
and to let no man, verse 18, beguile you of your reward in a voluntary, voluntary humility and worshiping of angels, intruding into those things which he has not seen, vainly puffed up by his fleshly mind, and not holding the head from which all the body by joints and bands, having nourishment ministered and knit together, increases with the increase of God. Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ from the rudiments of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? Touch not, taste not, handle not. Those are, you know, those are aesthetic things, ascetic things, which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of God. You know, there are people who uh, don't do this or they don't do that as an act of humility. They, they get proud and they condemn others that do and don't in opposite to what they do. So in their asceticism, some people uh, avoid uh, uh, sensory luxuries and things of that sort in a, in a voluntary uh, humility. I remember back in the early days of the church, and I know I've said this before, that uh, there was a time when uh, you know, uh, eating white bread or anything uh, like white sugar or rice was a no-no, and those who, uh, even though it was so tasty to me, I felt like, well, I, I've got to do the same thing, and this is my, uh, this is my humility, you know. This is, uh, but it became uh, more of a, a, a fleshly show than uh, really a sincere thing. You know, verse 23, which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and neglecting of the body, not in any honor to the satisfying of the flesh. So such regulations like that have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship and their false humility and maybe their harsh treatment of, of, the, of the body, but they really lack value in restraining sensual indulgence of using the Spirit of God to overcome self-pride and uh, having uh, inordinate pride, but having humility instead. Let's go to the second part, the grace of meekness. So who was the meekest man on earth before Christ came? Numbers 12.3. It says, Now the man Moses was very meek above all men which were upon the face of the earth. According to Webster, being meek means mild of temper, not easily provoked or irritated, but soft, gentle, yielding. But what does having meekness mean to God? Psalm 25, verse 9, the meek he will guide in judgment, and the meek will he teach his way. So having meekness means being teachable, for they are willing to listen. And, and be led. James chapter 1, verse 16. Do not err, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning of his own will beget he us with the word of truth that we should be a kind of firstfruits of his creatures. Wherefore, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man works not the righteousness of God. 
Wherefore lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of, of naughtiness and receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls. So being meek means being willing to be led, being willing to be taught and to learn of the word of God. But, verse 22, but be you doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving your own selves. So meekness may seem to some like, you know, uh, just being weak and letting people uh, run over you. But it is a spiritual power that makes for eternal life. And it has an important role in our salvation. Because we know that the meek shall inherit the earth. And do we not want to share in, the, in that inheritance? So we need to have a meek spirit in our life. Now, we can see this in little children. You can watch their faces. You can uh, see their eyes. That there is a quiet and a meek spirit in them. But when we become adults, it seems like we lose that. We want our own way. And then we're not so meek, but we become aggressive. But Jesus said in verse 3, as we read, Verily I say unto you, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. You cannot become uh, more than what, uh, more with a child, uh, giving up a childlike attitude. It's like you kind of go back to having that childlike attitude rather than continuing in the same vein of being adult and not going the way of God. So having meekness and humility, they're, they're not empty platitudes that people you know, hear a lot about or too often to be uh, interesting or, or uh, worth thinking about. But there are a lot of those graces that we can uh, see, meekness and, and, and uh, humility being some of those. Galatians chapter 5, the, verse 22, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and faith. And we, uh, we, that Holy Spirit that is given to us by the laying on of hands, after repentance and baptism, these things are valuable essentials to salvation, things that we are to grow in. Verse 23, and it includes meekness, temperance, against such there is no law, and they that are Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts. What is the opposite of meekness? It's arrogance. It's aggressiveness. It's lacking gentleness in temper or temper. So what is the good, really, of having meekness? Psalm 149 and verse 4. The Lord takes pleasure in his people. He will beautify the meek with salvation. So he's going to beautify the meek with salvation. And uh, Matthew 5, as we mentioned a while ago, we heard that a while ago. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Matthew 11, Jesus said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me, I am, for I am weak and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest for your souls. So the grace of humility, the grace of meekness, among other things like love and, and faith, are evidence that we are in Christ. Romans 8, verse 5, 
For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. So pride and arrogance are not the things that we are to uh, go after, to have and to hold, because they are be unbecoming of Christians. They are things that bring perilous times uh, upon the world. Verse 6, to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. The carnal mind is enmity against God, not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then, they that, that are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're living uh, in a wayward way apart from the law of God, apart from His will, you're not going to uh, please God. But you are not in the flesh, He's telling us, but you are in the Spirit, if so be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of his. Zephaniah chapter 2. Let's go down to uh, just verse uh, 3 of Zephaniah. Zephaniah uh, verse 3 where it says, Seek ye the Lord, all you meek of the earth, which have wrought his judgment. Seek the Lord, it says, all you humble of the land, you who do what God commands. Seek righteousness, seek meekness, and it may be you shall be hid in the day of the Lord's anger. So the operative word that we see here is seek. A word that means to search for and also to find. So we have to have a commitment to go after something and dig for that treasure that leads to life. Seek ye the Lord. Be willing you know, to submit to him in all things. Seek righteousness. Be willing to commit yourself to doing the right thing. Seek meekness, the humbleness and humility that graces life. In Proverbs chapter 6, we see that there are six things mentioned in the book of Proverbs that the Lord hates. These six things does the Lord hate in verse 16. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him. You know, not only are the, there are these th six things, there are even things more that are just as serious. But it's like these, these uh, that he mentions will do for now. Verse 17, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devise wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaks lies, and he that sows discord among brethren. So such things people can get caught up in because maybe others are doing it. And these are things that can lead society into these perilous times that we, that we see about us that, that's been going on ever since the beginning of time as evildoers wax worse and worse. Matthew 24, and there are other places that we could expound upon, but... It reminds us that in the last days, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And it will take the world to be on the brink of, this, uh, of extinction or destruction before Christ intervenes at the last moment. Because the way of peace, not many know. Revelation chapter uh, 19 I need to turn there because I left this out of my notes. Revelation 19, beginning in verse 1. 
the coming time. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are his judgments, for he has judged the great whore which did corrupt the earth with her fornication and hath avenged the blood of his servant at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. And the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshiped God that sat on the throne, saying, Amen. Alleluia. And a voice came out of the throne, saying, Praise our God, all you his servants, and you that fear him, both small and great. And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, and as the voice of many waters, and as the voice of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come. And his wife has made herself ready. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen. Clean and white. For the fine linen is the righteousness of saints. And he said unto me, write. Blessed are they which are called unto the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said, these are the true sayings of God. And I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See, do it not. I am, the, I am your fellow servant and of your brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. And I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. Uh, we begin to see how having meekness and humility will lead us to that t uh, point in time when Jesus returns that uh, he will favor those who use the grace of humility and, and, and the grace of meekness. And when you think about meekness, it doesn't mean weak, uh, weakness because when Jesus returns, uh, he's going to be... Uh, furious about the way things have been going. Verse 12, his eyes were as a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns, and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself. And he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood. And uh, on down to 16, uh, it says, and he has on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So having meekness and humility on our part is important. They are two of the many things that are essential to the life as a Christian in, in his daily journey. And one must, must be found in faith and walking in the spirit of God and in the grace of, the, uh, of meekness and in the grace of humility. So if, in case we might think, well, we lack those things, we just, we just need to pray. Pray always for the things that we need. Pray for uh, our daily bread. Now, were it not for the grace of God, by the weakness and humility of Jesus Christ toward us, we would not have hope of salvation or forgiveness of sin. We would not have God's unmerited favor or his mercy or his compassion upon us were it not for Jesus Christ. And we can be thankful to him for the grace, his grace of humility and his grace of meekness that has afforded us a hope into our future.